2: Listeners should refer to the disclaimer in the episode notes and at the end of this podcast. This podcast was recorded in June. On July 23, Adalta announced that the first healthy participants in its Phase 1 clinical trial of AD214 had been treated.
1: We're trying to drug the undruggable. What we ask pharma companies to do is bring us your most challenging drug targets. What have you been unable to solve internally? And they're the targets that we focus on where we can be advantaged over any other traditional antibody discovery company.
2: G'day and welcome to the Equity Investor Journey, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. I'm Phil Muscatello. Today I'm speaking with Tim Oldham, CEO and MD of Adalta ASX Code 1AD. Tim has more than 15 years of life sciences, business development, alliance management, portfolio and product development and commercialisation experience in Europe, Asia and Australia with a particular focus on biologics, cell and gene therapies and pharmaceutical products.
1: G'day, Tim. Hi Phil, pleased to be here.
2: So Tim, what first got you interested in the life sciences sector?
1: Well, I guess I grew up on the land, so I always had an an interest in living and growing things and science was always really fascinating at school. Um, I ended up doing science and law degrees at university and that put me down a fairly hard scientific path, but I was watching what was happening in biology at the time and realised that there were two things that were going to change the world in, in my lifetime. One was biotech and one was computer science, and I didn't like the latter. So uh, biology was where it was going to be. A- and so far, that's been, that's delivered. So it's, it's always been that fascination in how the world operates and, and how the natural world operates.
2: So what were the first steps out of uni that um, took you into
1: this field? So after my undergrad degree, I was, uh, I went to London and did post postgrad degree uh, at Imperial College. And that was really, intended to, you know, one gets an international experience, but also it was taking a very pure science degree and turning it as biological as I could. But I guess I'd always had this idea that I didn't want to be a research scientist. I wanted to make real things and real products and have an impact on on creating useful innovation rather than new knowledge. Uh, after my PhD, I joined McKinsey & Company, became a management consultant for a few years, spent a lot of time learning how to think about a business and strategy and and the process of business, but also picking up every biotech project that came along that I could um, and just some fascinating work there. But then left uh, McKinsey to join what was then Maine Pharmaceuticals and really creating a new business at Maine, which was the first time there'd ever been generics of biotech drugs. We'd had generics of small molecule drugs before, but there'd never been generics of, of biologics. So that was my real introduction to to biologics and, and the pharmaceutical industry. And And from there, it went from... Yeah, you know, in Europe for five years, back to Australia, um, running an Asia Pacific operation for Aspira for another five years. Spent a huge amount of time in Japan and Korea and China, and then went into cell and gene therapy, and ultimately ended up at Adalta. So it sounds like you
2: were really balancing the two things, the uh, the business side of things, but uh, still focusing on the area that you were most interested in in the the life sciences and biotech.
1: Absolutely, it's all been about trying to find ways to bring the the amazing innovations and, and research that we're doing in biotech these days, but turning it into real products and bringing that to the benefit of patients.
2: Okay, so let's turn to Adalta. The disease that Adalta is targeting is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. What's this disease and why you're targeting it?
1: So Pulmonary fibrosis is relatively easy. Pulmonary is lungs uh, and fibrosis is essentially scarring of an, of, of an organ. Uh, We call it idiopathic because we don't actually know what causes it. So let's focus on fibrosis for the moment. Um, Fibrosis is a condition that results in the deposit of fibrous tissues, collagen, and things like that in an organ. Uh, And just like a scar on your skin, you know when you get an injury, it it gets inflamed to start with. That inflammation, uh, redness, and soreness creates ultimately scar tissue. And that scar, when it heals... It's part of the healing process, but it will, it will be stiffer than your normal skin, and it will pull and pinch the skin. Now, you can imagine if that happens in your lungs, which are expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting multiple times every minute for your entire life. If you have scarring in that and the tissue architecture stiffens up, you're going to really struggle to breathe. So our drug is really designed to address fibrosis in all its forms bear in mind that fibrotic injury can happen in almost every organ system of the body heart kidney lungs liver eyes and so we have a, a product that has potentially to impact fibrosis everywhere but we're particularly focused on lung fibrosis because one it's relatively easy to study two it's it's a debilitating disease patients diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis on average survive less than 4 years from diagnosis Uh, and ultimately die from progression of fibrosis to the point where they are unable to breathe. Uh, There are no good therapies today. There are two marketed drugs. Uh, They generate sales around about 2 to $3 billion a year, but they don't work particularly well, and they have some nasty side effects. About a quarter of all patients can't tolerate these drugs for more than 12 months, which means for the remaining three years of their expected life. They have no options. So the, the, the patients are crying out for, for a better outcome. I get a phone call or an email probably once a week now that we've announced our first clinical trial uh, from patients looking for a better outcome, encouraging us to keep going because they just have no good outcomes at the moment. Uh, so there's a lot of activity in the space, but that's why we chose IPF to start with. Uh, it was just the magnitude of the unmet need was just something that we felt was a, a good place to start with this drug.
2: So what is the magnitude of that unmet need? How many people are affected by this?
1: So it's what's called an orphan disease, and that means that there are a relatively small number of patients. Uh, We estimate there are between 300,000 and 600,000 patients around the world living with IPF today. So the numbers aren't huge, uh, Mm. but it it is absolutely debilitating. The other thing that in the current environment is giving us encouragement to, to really push hard is that most patients who recover from COVID-19 will end up with fibrotic damage to their lungs. And so in that context, it's even more important that we bring a new drug to market. To not, we're not going to be able to treat COVID-19. Hmm. We're, not a, we're not a therapy or a vaccine company, mm-hmm. but we're definitely going to be needed in there in the background uh, for those who survive uh, COVID-19.
2: Okay, because we have heard about the damage that COVID-19 does to lungs and this is specifically the kind of damage that um, uh, that occurs. Is that
1: the case? That's right. The virus attacks your lower airway. It creates inflammation. Inflammation attracts the kind of cells that ultimately lead to collagen deposits that lead to the scarring.
2: So the drug that you've developed is AD214 and you're about to enter phase one clinical trials. How's that looking?
1: This is a really exciting moment in the history of our company. For any biotech company to move from preclinical to clinical, it's sort of like a coming-of-age moment where we've now demonstrated that all of the science and all the theory is now coming together and an independent body, in this case an ethics committee, has said, having reviewed all of our data, that one, we think this is safe enough to put into a human, and two, we don't think you can realistically learn anything more about this drug without putting it into a human. Uh, and so this is a huge moment for us. It's a huge moment for this drug, but it's a huge moment for the company as well because it will. this study will also help validate our underlying platform technology. The, the phase one program will start in healthy volunteers uh, that will run over the next six months. Uh, we'll then move into treating patients. Uh, we're not trying to prove that the drug works in those patients just yet but we do know that how the drug behaves in, in patients from a circulating you know, duration of circulation and from where it's distributed into the lungs of patients will be different than a healthy volunteer. So it was really important that we included them in the, in the Phase one program. And this is also going to be very important data, not just for informing our subsequent clinical trials, but because we have a number of uh, pharmaceutical uh, partners who are looking for new fibrotic drugs in their pipelines who are eagerly awaiting this data. Um, uh, on our product
2: how long did it take to get to this stage before going into um, clinical
1: trials i think too long it's been a long journey for <laughs> long journey
2: for. it is with biotech isn't it that drug development takes so many yes, years it's
1: it been it? look it's been a long journey for for us it's been a long journey for our shareholders who've been enormously patient through that journey mm. and of course it hasn't been without speed bumps and this is what happens in, in biotech Um, Adalta was founded back in 2006, 2007. It had three different technologies that came out of an Australian cooperative research centre at the time. The next couple of years were about narrowing that down and choosing the the platform technology that we're working on. And it actually came from basic research into the shark immune system of all things. Mm. Um, And it turns out that shark antibodies have this unique feature, structural feature that makes them particularly suited to uh, dealing with the sort of target we're dealing with for fibrosis and dealing with targets that uh, have proved challenging or intractable to other antibodies. So the company morphed over the first few years into, a, into what we call our iBody uh, technology. Uh, we then went through a period of time discovering iBodies to a whole range of different targets. At about the same time, uh, the, the target we're looking at for fibrosis became what we call validated and, and became obviously implicated in fibrotic disease. And then we went through two iterations of formatting the drug to, to get it suitable to be able to not just impact disease but also to manufacture it. So, you know, it has been a long, long journey. It's certainly something that we do not anticipate taking that long again because part of our strategy obviously is to do more of these drugs and and we don't, yeah uh, you know, we we aim to have, uh, you know, it's taken us 12 years arguably to get our first drug into the clinic. You know, we're, we're aspiring to have five more in preclinical development in the next three years. So we happen to shorten that cycle. a lot in the near future.
2: And are those um, all
1: based on um, fibrotic diseases, those uh, new treatments? Um, not necessarily. So yeah. we've, we're focused on uh, drug targets that uh, have been challenging for traditional antibodies to work on. Internally, we'll focus on a family that are called G-protein coupled receptors. These are sort of like an inbox for your cell. They, they process all the messages that the cells are getting from the outside environment and turn that into a signal as to how the cell should respond to that environment. Mm. And about 30% of our drugs today target these types of receptors, Um, but there are only about a quarter of them that we've actually successfully drugged. So that's our focus, and from a therapy area focus, we'll focus on fibrosis, inflammation, and cancer internally. The second part of our business model, though, is to partner the platform because there are a plethora of other targets in other disease areas that other people want to target if if, uh, another pharma company brings us the target and a good understanding of the biology, then we'll work with them to co-develop their drugs as the other part of our business model.
2: I noticed that when I was researching this interview that um, you're using something from shark tissue for the iBody platform. Mm. How did that start? How did the, someone actually find this particular bit of shark tissue would
1: be useful in this kind of cellular biotech level? Um. So I guess it goes back to our understanding of the way the immune system works has gone through enormous evolutions over the last 20 years and, and particularly over the last 10 years, that's accelerated. But as part of that, it was, it was basic research into how do the immune systems of different species work? And it was discovered that, that sharks uniquely or almost uniquely, um, camels also have a very similar immune system structure, ironically, but they evolved completely separately. It's, it's a, I don't think anyone's quite sure about why this convergent evolution happened. But it was really that discovery that these shark immune systems have a unique structure that led to curiosity-driven investigations. And that said, ah, maybe this can do something that others can't. That led to Mm -hmm. the sort of testing of of the platform. And then it was a case of, all right, we don't really, people are a bit uncomfortable, particularly 10 years ago, about putting a foreign species into a human. There was a big move to try and humanise everything. Um, but the, the the discovery that really got Adulter going was the discovery of a human protein that mapped almost exactly onto the shark scaffold and we used that as the scaffold for our eye bodies. So it's actually fully human, unlike some of the other people working in this field have to go and immunise sharks or immunise camels in order to get these a- antibodies. Ours is fully human and we can generate it through what I'll call synthetic biology in the lab.
2: So the iBody platform is now the basis for a lot of the future development that Adulter is um, undertaking.
1: That's correct. Our, what, what's unique about Adulter is this iBody, which combination of fully human plus small size plus unique structure allows us to, if you like, you know, we, we say we're trying to drug the undruggable. Or what we ask pharma companies to do is bring us your most challenging drug targets. What have you been unable to solve internally? And they're the targets that that we focus on, where we can be advantaged over any other traditional antibody discovery company. So that's our, our core technology. And, and AD214, our lead internal product, is essentially validating that that platform can produce unique drugs. And that's why getting that into the clinic is such an important milestone for us. Because it says something about the safety and the capability of the entire platform. Similarly, we have a collaboration with a company called GE Healthcare, which is one of the largest life sciences companies in the world, uh, to discover eye that bind to a target that they're interested in for their diagnostic imaging business. And so that validates the other part of our business model, which is we can work with other companies to use our eye to discover interesting drugs to targets that they're interested in.
2: There's there's so much collaboration in this space, isn't there, that um, in a lot of cases, uh, large pharmaceutical companies are producing way too many treatments for them to develop themselves and then they have to form partnerships with companies like yourself.
1: Uh, so there's, a, there's an element of that. The other element is that the traditional model of big pharma companies doing all their drug discovery in-house mm. is actually broken. The productivity mm-hmm. of big pharma R&D has been declining for some time and... Yep. The the number of new drugs that are approved by the, the, Euro, the US FDA or the Australian Therapeutic Goods Administration that are sourced from big pharma completely is declining versus the number that are growing from smaller biotech companies. They're typically more nimble. They're built around a single technology or idea, much more focused, mm. but they don't have the resources. Mm. We're a bit the same. We don't have the resources to take these all the way through the phase one, phase two, and then the, usually the big phase threes that cost anything from 50 to $500 million or more. We don't have the financial resources mm-hmm. to do that, but big pharma does. So it's absolutely critical that there's this supply chain of ideas that come out of research establishments that spin out companies that develop them so far, but then license them on to big pharma companies who have the horsepower and the skills and the scale to then take it all the way to market and commercialization. Um so there's a there's very definitely a, a really critical ecosystem that makes all of this work. And then around all of that you have the the clinical experts and the animal model experts that all provide the the input along the way to enable you to develop these drugs really efficiently. Um it's it's a complex business.
2: It's all become specialized, has it? All those different facets of it are all specializations now and um certain companies are only dealing with one aspect of that at a time.
1: Absolutely. And and there's a a, a lot of discussion now every year around, for example, the Nobel Prizes. I mean, 100 years ago, it was very easy to give a Nobel Prize to a single scientist because who had a Eureka moment. (laughs) Well, the Eureka moments today in science happen in research groups that have hundreds of people in them, potentially, Mm -hmm. certainly tens of people, and they're collaborating with groups around the world, potentially, at the moment. So, um, science is very much a, a global exercise or enterprise or undertaking these days.
2: Okay, Tim, well, let's have a look at the commercial opportunities. What um, what are we looking forward to?
1: So I think we touched on a little bit earlier. Adolph has got a mission that says we want to produce as many drugs enabled by our eye bodies as possible. Um, that means developing a portfolio of internal drug candidates such as AD214 and We would like to add three to five more of those by 2023. It also means having more co-development partnerships with companies like GE Healthcare. Uh, And these are really interesting because we don't have the capabilities in-house to understand the biology of all the possible targets, but a partner like GE can bring us the biological expertise, the target knowledge, and essentially it allows us to uh, add another drug to our portfolio for free because the deals are structured in such a way that our research costs are effectively covered uh, and then we earn royalties, smaller royalties down the track. So we add drugs to our pipeline essentially for free with a small royalty stream through our co-development partnerships and then we add products into our internal pipeline that cost a lot more of our own money up front but ultimately then get partnered to larger pharmaceuticals companies um, for much bigger milestones and, and royalties. Now, what are they worth? Well, to give you an example, uh, uh, there have been three major deals in the field of idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis in the last 18 months. Uh, they were they were all done by the big pharma companies that own the existed existing marketed products for IPF, which tends to go to validating just how important new drugs are in the space. Uh, and they involved upfronts ranging from 40 million dollars to 150 million dollars, I think. And that was just the upfront payments. The they all had billion dollar price tags on them in terms of what we call bio bucks, which is the potential milestones that come down the track as development is successful. So they're the kind of deals that we're aspiring to do. You know, I can't guarantee that we will obviously, but that's the that's the when you look at the money side, that's the opportunity that we're we're shooting for. And our goal really is to do what we've already demonstrated we can do with AD214 and do and demonstrated what we can do with GE and simply do that over and over and over again. Uh, The first window for partnering for AD214 will come towards the end of our phase one program, so probably in the back half of next year. Uh, And our goal is really to get enough companies interested that if you like, we can create a bit of an auction at that point.
2: So, Tim, it sounds like a really exciting time for the company. Yeah,
1: you know, touch wood. Uh, I joined Adolta back in October last year and, and the excitement for me was very much about this is a wonderful company with enormous potential, but today we have one product in one indication. So AD214 has enormous potential as a drug in its own right, not just radiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, but fibrosis in other organs. Lay over that the opportunity that we've got to produce more drugs off the iBody platform and then lay over that the opportunity we've got with co-development partners along the way. And we have the opportunity to, I think, create something pretty substantial. We're not a we're not aiming to be a single product company that we then go and sell the entire company to sell the lead product. Uh, And 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 in that way, hopefully we can create momentum and a continuous pipeline of drugs using Australian innovation, continuing to create research and discovery and development jobs in Australia, which I think that would be a wonderful outcome for for us and and that's the journey that that we're now well on the way to achieving. Tim Oldham, thank you very much for coming on and
2: joining us today and speaking about At Alta. Phil, thanks for having me. The company and or guest has contributed to the costs associated with producing this episode of the Equity Investor Journey. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice as we don't know your personal financial situation, so you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances, or current situation.